Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom's weight management programs are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Hello and welcome to On the Farm Picture List podcast about all things prospect, dynasty, and minor league related. I am your host, Lamar Gibson. And I'm your host, Jake Mache. And now that we're past Memorial Day weekend, it's the start of summer. And to me, that means, you know, summer blockbuster movies. And so I feel like it's only right that today is a sequel. It's a sequel to episode 55. We had talked in that episode about players to target if you're contending for a championship this year and some prospects you may be looking to move out as a result. Today, we're looking at the other end. If you're on the rebuilding side of things, here's some MLB vets that you might want to look at dealing to get some good returns. And then we highlighted some prospects that we think you should circle to be part of your next great team. Uh, But before we get into that, as we normally do, we're going to talk about this week in baseball. We're recording this episode on Saturday, uh, June 3rd, and uh, I believe it's today, right? Correct me if I'm wrong, Jake, but today we should be anticipating the debut of Brian Wu for the Seattle Mariners. Um, And so with Wu coming, I saw a lot of, you know, as it tends to be a lot of hype, a lot of excitement. Um, I saw some, some tweets about how elite his stuff is, which I thought was slightly surprising i i like brian Wu going back to 2021 um mm-hmm. I, I never thought of him as elite but I, i'll be honest um you know some of the arguments uh as, as far as his pitch quality his pitch stuff uh, i felt to be pretty compelling so um do you have any expectations about uh Wu? are you adding him for redraft like what what are your thoughts right no, I'm I'm definitely one of those people hyping him up. Um, I think that he's an ad in all leagues, like regardless of format so size, etc. Yeah, absolutely, a- um, <laughs> gladly. Uh, no, because I've gotten the chance to actually watch a couple of his double A starts, and I mean, like even when he's not on, when he's not elite, you know, when he's not locked in, he still looks great. Um, his, I, I really think that he has similar upside to Bryce Miller, um, just because, like, I mean, and the the, the comparison like almost like makes itself their arsenals are very similar uh their fastballs are very similar we know that bryce miller is one of the best fastballs in baseball like he's kind of gotten to that point he throws it like 68 percent of the time and has extreme success um woo his fastball is shaped extremely similar um woo's delivery is um a little different than miller's woo gets more i think um, his arm slot is a little lower and he gets kind of like more um, I don't really know how to say it, but I want to say like more behind the ball, I guess. Um, he, he, it feels like he kind of creates a lot of carry with his delivery where I think maybe Miller's is a bit more natural, but woo is like, you can tell that his, his game plan is like fastballs with a great ride up and then, you know, drop the break and stuff on you low. And his slider looks a lot like Bryce Miller's slider. It's a power slider, a Euro slider. 
uh, gyro slider. Wow, I just, not not the Greek sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say that sounds delicious. A gyro slider, I would eat that. <laughs> Man, uh, quick, the best gyro I've ever had. PNC Park, a little stand on the concourse. So if you're ever there, check it out. Good Anywho. Um, so yeah, he has a, like a power gyro slider. It looks a lot like Bryce Miller's. And so it's like, they're in the same organization. It's like been really the same developmental path this year. It's really hard to like differentiate them. The one kind of thing that like you could point to, I think is the fastball velocity. Uh, Bryce Miller consistently sits at like 96 up to 97, you know, um, woo is more of in that like 94, 95 range. Um, you know, which does like limit, I think the upside a little bit, at least for now, if he can't like, you know, add to it or, um, you know, if he maybe, you know, doesn't have the same command that, that Miller's seen. So um, I think that that's kind of the biggest differentiator that I see in the arsenal right now. Um, but you, we've seen guys with elite shapes on their fastballs get away with lesser velocity. Like Tyler Wells is big, a big one recently. Alex Fast just interviewed him about his fastball. Um, and like Nestor Cortez, like a huge part of his success was using the fastball a lot, even though it's at 92, 93 because it has fantastic ride carry it sits at the top of the zone it's hard for batters to get on top of it so um i think that's what we're looking at with woo someone with that kind of elite fastball that he could use a lot and get away with it and then also has that um you know that hammer slider to back it up with and his his delivery is beautiful i i he's one of the that you just love watching pitch because it's very satisfying it's very repeatable and yeah, no, I, I, I'm hyping him up just as much as everyone no, else. I no, know that's I, not I super it. helpful, but like, I am absolutely all in on him. So, um, like I said, for, for Wu, I had paid attention to him in 21, just kind of, again, part of that sort of, um, uh, uh, grouping, uh, cohort, if you will, of Mariners pitchers, you know, they had, uh, Gilbert, Kirby, uh, Emerson Hancock and then Wu was kind of like a, a tear behind Miller I don't even think was really on a ton of radars at the time as well um, and and so I knew about him I'm not no I'm not saying like who is this guy but just the amount of attention that I, uh, I paid to him obviously I, I was lacking so here I am you know this this is what happens when you, you stop paying attention you, you you miss some some guys um they get past you but i am obviously very interested just from a baseball standpoint to see um how he looks especially as we've seen some um th- this kind of been the year of pitching debuts and we've seen kind of the full gamut mm-hmm. of uh debuts and, and kind of uh early 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 career entries and that i'm, I'm actually going to flip-flop our topics because that i think is a really good segue into to uh less uh you know, uh, um, uh, to successful, less successful yes. Yeah. Um, you know, starts to their career, and that's Grayson Rodriguez. It's Gavin Stone. Both of them have been demoted, sent down, however you want to um, word that. And I think, you know, if we start with Stone first, I think what has happened, and you and I, Jake, have kind of talked about this, and and um, I've talked about this with a couple of other folks um, off mic, is it kind of seemed like his lack of success has made people sort of recalibrate their thoughts around the change at first uh, pitchers out there of, of kind right. of the, the folks that are almost the exact opposite of what you just described with Wu, where their fastball shape and fastball yeah. velocity isn't elite in either, right? It's not the velo and it's not the shape or, or movement, but the changeup is like 60, I think for stone in some places it was 70, you know, plus right. um, uh, 70 grade, I should say. Um, 
and so now you're starting to see a little bit of like almost backlash to that of like, oh, the other changeup first guys, maybe not, you know, I'm not as interested. And maybe Gavin Stone really isn't going to be as good as we thought until he gets the fastball taken care of. And um, I think it, it was a bit surprising. And, and now it's like waiting for Bobby, well, not waiting for Bobby Miller, but kind of putting more um, chips in, I guess, with Bobby Miller versus with Gavin Stone and then waiting for the slew of other Dodgers pitchers that we know are, are waiting in the wings. I guess what I'm trying to drive at is with stone. Um, do you think this is just early, you know, career blip? We'll look at it in uh, you know, another couple of years is, Hey, uh, you know, again, we always say pitching in major leagues is hard. He had to go through it, figure it out. And now here he is, or is there something where you're like, Oh, there is kind of a hole in his game. And if that's not patched up, he there is kind of a problem with him as a uh, at least as a fantasy um player on your team yeah he's um he's been a real tough one um because i was definitely one of the people that was trying you know it was like buying in in the in the off season and um you know there was a lot of people that, that loved um what he was doing and mm-hmm. um i i don't think that just you know being a primarily change-up guy is or, you know necessarily a, a bad thing automatically but um, I don't know. There's just something about it that is, um, you know, I maybe an adjustment for for pitchers coming in. Uh, looking at like his locations on his changeup, it was like pretty sporadic. Um, that might be a problem. It was there's a lot of like, you know, middle of the zone, and then some stuff like somehow he threw a ton of them like high and um arm side, like way up out of the zone. Um, and so it's obviously didn't really have a great feel for it. Um. And so it's it's kind of tough to pick a spot with him right now. Um, the one kind of like bright spot um, that for me doesn't make even a ton of sense. I'm trying to figure out how it happened, but he registered a 16.4% swinging strike rate in the majors in his 10 innings pitch. So like, it's not a huge sample, but like that's an insane number um, when he was having such horrible results. Right. Um, and I'm trying to look if there was if the so he got a 19% swinging strike on the changeup, and 11 on the fa- 11.5 on the fastball, which is solid for a fastball, right. and then 23.5% on the slider. And so he was like he was getting guys to swing and miss, which is great, but it just seems like he left them in the kind of part of the zone too much to where it was like demolished at at that point. And um, and yeah, and even the fastball results, like it got hit really, really hard. Um, and it doesn't seem like he has a clear plan, like location wise for how to use it yet. And, and something that you said that made me think was like, he's getting the swing and swipe, uh, swing strikes. You said 19 point. On the changeup. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. 19.3, 19.3. Yeah. So it, with that, but also thinking about how much you were talking about him missing, it's, it's just kind of like if he is lacking a feel for um if he's lacking a feel for a pitch that's kind of supposed to be his his premium pitch like the 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 money maker so to speak right that's where i'm kind of like okay where does he where does he go cuz if it's if it's like oh it's his third pitch and he hasn't really gotten it like tightened up and it's kind of over the map sometimes he can get guys to swing but sometimes it's like okay but his bread and butter he knows how to get that going but if it's like the bread and butter isn't there then like what else is in the pantry sort of thing like what like where right. where does he go so that is one that i think is is very surprising very interesting to watch i would say if i so this is my opinion if i had him which i do not 
Um, but if I had him on any dynasty teams, so I'm not thinking about redraft, I think he's he's a hold. And I think what I'm mm-hmm. thinking about is like he's almost like a hold and like stash. I almost treat him like, you know what, what comes to mind? I almost treat him almost like you would treat the low A guys. Where like I'm just kind of stash him and like I'm not even looking at him. I'm just kind of like mm. leave him. Oh, so alone. not even a streamer. Yeah, like I and this is again uh, being very specific. This is for dynasty, right? So yeah. redraft, different, completely different thought process. Probably an avoid in redraft. Right. At the, like fully at this point. Right. Yeah. But for dynasty, I'm like if I have him on the team, because you're not going to get value right now because everybody knows you're trying to get out. So I, I'm not giving up anything good for him, and. There's really no point. I'm, he's obviously not on the major league roster right now, and there's a good chance, you know, <laughs> there's a chance, quite honestly, that he doesn't get back to major leagues this year. Yeah. Like, depending on what, yeah. essentially, depending on what happens with, like, the Tulsa Drillers, if you look at their rotation right now, <laughs> they have they have options. six, they're, they're running about six guys deep that could all come up. Um, right. And then we always know that the Dodgers don't hesitate to go get guys on the market as well. So that's always an option. Right. So it's just like, he's not on major league. So he's not contributing there. You're not going to get value if you try to put him in a trade uh, at all. Um, unless you're bundling him with somebody even greater, which is its own thing in of itself. Uh, you're obviously not going to drop him. So then it's just like stash and just check him out in the off season. Like I would just like, almost like out of sight, out of mind. We'll see what he does in the off season. Unless you're hearing or seeing things that are like, he, you know, injury, obviously, or like something really, really, you know, dire. Or if you're seeing like, oh, he's lights out now. He's got it all figured out. The Dodgers are calling back like he like Gavin Stone 2.0 is like here. Unless you get those like either of those sort of reports. If it's just like, oh, he has some good starts. He got roughed up in one at AAA. Hey, just leave him. Just leave him be. At the at the end of your you know minor league uh, rotation, so to speak, and then in the off season you can kind of reevaluate and, and try to figure out where to go from there. Because I I don't think you're you're going to get a, like an actual answer, an actual resolution this season. I don't think it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I think this might be a multi season sort of. It's going to take some time before we know who Gavin Stone really is as a pitcher. And, and right, uh, well. Uh, go ahead and say what you're going to say before I segue. Up. I was just going to say, especially because he is, uh, you know, the data and the results are both pretty unreliable in the mm-hmm. PCL. And so like, I think that we're going to have to see him come back to the majors and get a, and have a few starts, get some more data. Okay. Like how are the locations? How, is he still get, like getting a bunch of swinging strikes on the changeup, but is it not getting hit as hard? You know, um, at that point, then it's like, okay, like then you can make some conclusions about where to go going forward. But like, it's really hard to do that when he's in the PCL, because like, even though we have stat cast data now in AAA, fantastic. Love it. Elevation affects that like so much. Um, and so it's just hard to know what you're going to get. Um, Cause like he looked, he was kind of off and on, but like, he had looked still really good in AAA for a handful of starts. And so um, it'll be maddening if, <laughs> if you're like consistently watching or paying attention in AAA. So I like what you said about just like that. Eh, just don't even think about it. Just put it on the, put them on the bench or in your minor slot and just like come back to it later. And um, yeah, I think we're going to need some more like major league data on him before being able to, you know, know where he's going. Um, And, and talking about guys where it seems like it might be a multi season thing, Grayson Rodriguez, not at all what I, I think we anticipated um, yeah. out of him. Uh, I was looking seven, 
and please fact check me if you can, Jake, 7.7 something ERA. Am I making that up? Uh, I have it here. Six, five, six, five. Or no, sorry. That's that. Sorry. never mind. That's the X. That's the expected ERA. Jeez. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Sorry, Lamar. The actual ERA is indeed 7.35. 7.35 expected. Not much better. Technically lower, but not much better. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, just not at all. I think, the results that we thought we were going to see from Grayson. And even if you get outside of like, okay, you know, not everybody can come up and just automatically look like, you know, God's gift, so to speak, as far as pitching, you know, you don't expect to see a guy run what has to be, and I'm going off the top of my head, that has to be three times, you know, or two and a half times what his sort of career ERA has been in the minors Mm -hmm. in in initially starts. Um, with Grayson, I mean, you're kind of in the same boat as what I was saying with Gavin. Like, you're not going to get the value, again, from a dynasty standpoint. You're not going to get the value. Uh, you're obviously not going to drop. Uh, he's not contributing right now, though I will say, um, and I saw this question uh, come up in one of our Friday um, AMAs on Reddit uh, about when he will make his return. I'll be honest, the, uh, the difference between – Gavin Stone on the Dodgers and Grayson Rodriguez on Orioles is like Orioles don't really have many other pitchers that they can go on reliably and they're doing really yeah. well. And that's the, that's the, that's the crux is, you know, if this was a typical 2010, 2020s Orioles team where they're awful and they've, you know, multiple games under 500 already and like well outside of playoffs, then you can just punt the season and just say like, Hey, we'll keep Grayson down. Um, we don't need to rush him back. It really doesn't matter who we tried out at the major league level because we're losing these games anyway. But they're really good. They're, you know, they're right uh, there as far as being able to be in the playoffs, being there to win the division, quite honestly. Um, their offense is clicking. The bullpen seems to mostly be, um, you know, pretty, pretty locked down. They have some gaps. But, I mean, they're a, a good team. And so you don't want to give up on that good team because you you have holes in your your rotation. And so now it puts them in the position where they can't go to the minors and say, oh, well, we got two and three other guys that are, you know, definitely ready to get called up. And they're also not the Dodgers where they can say, hey, we can go out and just get anybody unless, and this is getting a little bit off topic, unless we see Michael Elias and co get aggressive on the trade market and say, hey, let's start packaging some of these infield and outfielders that we have the multitude of and go after somebody and, and actually grab, you know, a decent pitcher. And I don't know what the pitching market is going to be um, mm-hmm. as, as far as at the trade deadline or coming into the trade deadline. Shane Bieber is going to be available. Please take Lucas Giolito from me. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, that would be that that would be interesting. And now knowing how Camden Yards plays, at least against right-handers, it's yeah. not the band box that it was. We're going into the summer and it's not necessarily going to be a launching pad the same way. Now, all of a sudden, like, that would be a very interesting situation. That's a, a different conversation, though. Steering it back to Grayson, I think it's very similar to Gavin Stone. Uh, you got to kind of hold and sort of set it and forget it. Um, but what do you see, Jake, as far as Grayson? Where was his kind of gaps? What was he? What were the holes in his game? And what can he potentially do to fix those things as we look for him to return back to the majors? Yeah, definitely. I think for him, it's it's primarily the locations of his pitches because, like, he um, – you know, the four-seamer is averaging 96.7, which is 92nd percentile for fastball velocity. Um, so that still looks good. 
Um, he has decent like movement on the fastball. It's not a dead zone fastball. Um, still has really good depth on the changeup. Um, it has, you know, good drop. The slider looks solid. The cutter is like meh. I know he added that, I think, this offseason maybe, and it has been pretty bad. Um, but like, you know, his primary pitches still look good. It's just, um, man, if you look at the locations of these things, um, the fastball locations aren't horrible. Um, but the changeup, oh my gosh, why is he throwing a changeup in high, like high in the zone, <laughs> like just floating it up there for guys to demolish. Um, I've only ever been able to see one pitcher have any sort of success doing that. And that was Lucas Giolito for like a season and a half when he had that like ridiculous movement on his changeup and just figured out a way to like get guys looking at the top of the zone. I still don't know really how that happened, but no one else is really able to do it. Like it doesn't work well. And his changeups have been like primarily middle of the zone to up in the zone. Um, and then somehow missing way off of the plate up in the zone. So it's like, that's obviously not ideal. Um, even the slider, it has, uh, a fifth percentile zone percentage. He does not throw it anywhere near the strike zone. So no one's swinging at it. Um, yeah. Like swinging strike percentage is 12% for a slider. It's really bad. Um, and so he's just yanking it off glove side side, you know, arms or glove side of the plate. So like way off to the left. Um, and so, and then when he does throw it in the zone, it's like hanging over the middle. Like there's no, you know, like it's not in kind of that really tight kind of like lower court, lower part of the zone. And like, um, not exactly stealing strikes. It's just getting hammered. So I think that that's a good thing, if anything, because you can fix locations a lot quicker than you could fix stuff Then you could fix your fastball shape or velocity or, um, you know, change of depth and things like that. Um, and so I think that it's just like a, a recalibration that's needed, uh, work on the locations in AAA. And, um, I'm still like, Long term, I think he's going to be fine, um, and I think that he could, if he he could fix his command next season and be a, I don't know, like top fifty pitcher or so. Like, um, I still think he's going to be really good, but it's just kind of like it's been really like I, every time you take a small step forward, it's been like, oh man, he got knocked around again, you know. So, um, so yeah, so it's just horrible locations, and but the pitches themselves still look solid. Um, over under three. No, I'm sorry. Let me set that number a slight higher. Over under four minor league starts for Grayson before he mm. returns to the major leagues. I I'd say over. Over. So more than four. Yeah. He's not by a lot, but yeah, I think it'll be. I think we'll get a solid five six weeks down there. Maybe come back after the All Star break. Um, I don't see them like, you know, rushing it a whole lot. Let me look at what. Um, I didn't look at what the rotation currently looks like, but. Um, and it's loading and we got, uh, Kyle Gibson, mm -hmm. Dean Kramer, Kyle Bradish, Tyler Wells, and they just have four listed right now. And so, so you like, have to figure like Cole Irvin is a possibility of them Cole Irvin, back. Yeah. uh, Austin Volf, they've been kind of running him out as a long-term guy, but I, I'll be honest, even as an Oris fan, I can't think of any other names and I forgot about Wells. That's on me, but I can't think of it, it really any other names outside yeah. of Irvin. Didn't they use Drew Rom for a spot start recently? They, uh, they did call Theo him Hall, up. maybe. They did call him up. I think that was out of the bullpen, though, but maybe Rom. Uh, maybe they want to do the Hall thing again. I mean, we already kind of talked about in previous episodes. That's kind of its own, you know, issue. Yeah, that's the whole, yeah. <laughs> for them to resolve. So I don't, that's kind of like yeah. robbing Peter to try to pay Paul. Yeah. 
they do have a ton of pitchers in their bullpen, so that's kind of maybe what they're planning on, like running out Voss yeah. as like an opener, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. or even Keegan Aiken has usually been has been used in some yeah. Um, but I mean that that was, larger chunks, but yeah, nah. yeah, you know, do you want to return back to the Keegan Aiken experience as a star? Yeah, kind of but the thing is, is like if they bring him up because they have like no depth in their rotation now, like why'd you send him down? You know, and like is that is that one or two starts really right, gonna make a difference? Right. I think you really need like a full month but, to actually work on something. But so so then the one thing I will say and, and this maybe is my Orioles, you know, orange yeah, tinted glasses is, you know, maybe it's more of a confidence thing of like there's nothing like he's gotten knocked around, right? He's gotten his nose bloodied at the major league level. We don't need to rub his face in it. Let's let him get back. And, you know, again, you, you guys know I'm I'm always kind of comparing to basketball, whether that works or not. Sorry, that's how my brain is. Um, but, you know, it's just like sometimes you need to just see the, the the ball go in the basket, right? You just need something, you know, kind of basic. And and that might be the same thing here is, uh, you know, we just need him. He just needs to strike out some some quad A guys and just and just remember like, oh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm Grayson Rodriguez. Like, I, I got the juice. Like, I, I, I am good. I am uh, somebody meant to be here and trying to force that at the major league level, maybe, maybe the thought process is it's just not going to happen and it could actually do more harm than good. Give them a couple starts, let them reset and then bring them back. Or, you know, maybe to your point, Jake is they are going to do the like, Hey, we'll see you after the all-star break. Um, we'll run these bullpen games. We'll try to stretch them guys out. Jerome, here's your shot. Um, trying to even think like who else is at the triple a level because they haven't done a whole they really haven't brought anybody straight from double a to the majors especially pitching wise um so. on the 40 man roster in triple a right now it's grayson rodriguez dl hall mm-hmm. cole Irvin, mm-hmm. seth johnson who's injured mm-hmm. uh drew rom and spencer watkins oh watkins there you go so you do the watkins yeah. thing again and you figure we can run a, a guy that will give us a what four and a half ERA and like, we'll do that and just try to outmash some guys. So, I mean, they, they, there's some arms, uh, no, nothing I think to get really excited about per se, but there might be enough collection of arms on that 40 man, uh, along with what's out of the bullpen, like you were saying, Jake, to say they'll give them the, the, the five to six weeks and, you know, see after the all-star break and we'll, you know, take two and we'll do it again. So, uh, anyways, that's uh, Grayson and Gavin. We went a little bit longer on them than I intended. Uh, last little this week in baseball tidbit, but very important. Jordan Walker back on the menu. Uh, Jordan Walker is back. So kind of the the inverse of the scenario, right? A guy who struggled, went down, killed it, came back. Now we get to see what the second act looks like. Um, quick, you know, thoughts on Jordan Walker's return. Yeah, I... Um... It was interesting. I saw an interview that he did recently where he said that, you know, a big part of him being sent down was that the organization told him to work on hitting the ball in the air more. Um, And that like went pretty horribly. Um, You know, I think a lot of people were kind of like looking like, oh, my God, he kind of sucks in AAA right now. Like after he got called, after he got sent down. Um, I think a lot of that was just him like trying to lift the ball and, and not having success with it. And then it got to the point where he was like, you know what, this isn't working. And it was in tandem with the coaches. He wasn't saying this out of like rebellion against the organization, but it was like, okay, like it's not working. Um, like he, I think he said in his own words, he's like, I'm just going to do me, you know, like it's, you know, it's worked in the past and that's kind of like, we're just kind of, kind of focus on what Ben doing. 
Um, and so honestly, like that's good. Like I, there's been so much interesting tidbits that have come out of Car- the Cardinals organizational development this season. Um, and it's kind of funny that like with the one time that they're like, oh yeah, like, you know, do the whole lift the ball, like the whole launch angle thing. And it just like also blows up in their face. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's, it is what it is. I don't know really what the time down accomplished in that case, you know? Right. Um, but like happy he's back and like, honestly, like he hits the ball so hard, like, you don't necessarily need him to lift it. Like, like if you get someone like, uh, like Isak Paredes does not hit the ball hard. He gets his power by lifting the ball and pulling it. He just launches sky high fly balls to the pull side. And like, they go out sometimes he doesn't need to do that. Uh, he can hit line drives out over the fence and he'll even still get a ton of doubles. Like he'll, you know, the balls, the balls hit harder on the ground. It's more likely to find a hole. I don't like recommend doing that on purpose, but like, he's just someone who I think is like he's he hits the ball so hard it's just kind of like let him go and the balls will find the seats and the holes and it's gonna be fine you know yeah yeah uh you're right the Cardinals have definitely been the first half train wreck of the of this of the season is just like um from the major league standpoint you know everything going on with O'Neal and um Contreras and you know all that craziness and then from the minor league level um you got Walker. You also have Libertor where they're like, oh, we're going to bring him up, but we're going to pitch him out of the bullpen. But no, we're not going to pitch him out of the bullpen, but we might. But no, now we need this, him to start because Matt's is hurt. And yeah, it's just for a team that is, uh, you know, always kind of pride itself in, and we kind of laud as being one of the most stable teams and franchises. It's interesting to kind of see the the cracks start to show a little bit, uh, at least this year. I think for um, Jordan Walker specifically, I'm with you. I, you know, I'd much rather have him in the majors than not. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to, you know, hear, and I know you, you had shared that interview with me, like to hear him kind of talk through that mental process of like, hey, you want to be a you know, good, sh- good soldier, you know, try what the coaches say, try to do what needs to be done to be an everyday major leaguer but at the end of the day i got here for a reason and it wasn't right (laughs) so i need to i need to do what i've been doing to continue to have success doesn't mean that i can't learn doesn't mean that i can't improve but i mean the proof is kind of in the pudding we tried it your way it don't work why not get back to trying it my way so um yeah just interesting all the way around but happy to see him back up uh definitely will be interested to see how the rest of me Sorry, sorry, not to cut you off. But I was just gonna say maybe he maybe he works on it more in the off season. Mm-hmm. I think it's like a much less stressful time to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, like he does his thing for this year. Maybe he works a little bit in the off season at it. And um, you know, because like right now, because it felt like it was like a full like send you down and rework it. That's I feel like a very stressful, complicated thing to do in the middle of the season after he just got called right. up after all the hype. Right. You know, like do it in the off season when there's a lot less pressure and there's so much more time. Right. There's not like a, I need to get back. I need to get back, right. you know? So I, I think that if he wants to work on that, then I think maybe he does it in the off season and comes back and gets even better. You know, like it's, it's possible still. It's not that he's always going to just like hammer the ball in the ground right. and not, you know, grow at all or anything like that. Right. Well, with that being said, uh, that was a little bit longer, but you know, I guess we owed you guys one after not having a, a this week in baseball in last episode. So, uh, Brian Wu, Jordan Walker, Gavin Stone, and uh, Grayson Rodriguez. Uh, what we will do is take a quick break. We're going to come back and start talking about um, players that you might want to start moving out as you start your rebuild or your retooling for next season right after this. 
When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat, and that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, and we're back. So again, we're going to start with the current MLB players, if you have them on your roster, that you might want to uh, consider, you know, uh, putting on the block, trading them out, uh, getting some good value back as, as soon as you can as you start to rebuild or retool. Maybe your season just uh, went by the wayside, hadn't gone the way that you planned. Uh, or maybe you're, this is, you know, year two, year three of a rebuild that you've been going through. And so these are the last last pieces that you need to clear out um, and, and get something back for. Um, I see here in the outline, I, I liked how you put this, Jake. We have players that are 30 years, um, three, 30 years old or younger. Uh, and I like, you know, it's, you know, it's too easy to just say, you know, sell all the old guys. Right. It's just like, okay, yeah, we get it. Yeah. Somebody like Charlie Morton, right. ship him away. Right. Okay, cool. Great. Okay. Done. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so you know, just to give us a little bit of focus, a little bit of structure here. Um, first guy up we have is Tommy Edmond. Uh, and just to read the line where he stands right now, two fifty eight is the average, uh, thirty runs scored, six home runs, twenty one RBI, uh, eight out of nine stolen base attempts. And um yeah, I'll, I'll turn it over to you, Jake, and, and just let you talk us through Tommy Edmond. Yeah, so, um, you know, Tommy Edmond is interesting because his actual profile, like hitting profile, hasn't changed a whole lot. A lot of the stuff is very similar across the board. He's very much the same player as he has been. What's changing is that he is getting a little bit older, um, even though he is still 28, which is good for Dynasty. I think if you're, you know, buy, if you're buying players, usually like, like you like to see a two as the first digit in the age. Um <laughs> But he is getting a little older, and the profile that he has doesn't usually age super well into the 30s, um, and even like maybe even a little earlier than that, because like he's he's I think he's shown at this point that he's not really going to like add a whole lot. Um, but what another thing that's changing is that he isn't leading; he's not like the uh, de facto leadoff guy for the Cardinals anymore, as he was um, for a lot of last year, and then definitely the year before that. Um, he's only let off in 10 out of the 55 games that he's played. Uh, and he's hit ninth in about half of the games that he's played. Um, and so like that alone is going to drop his value a little bit, but we're talking about someone who was drafted around like pick 80 overall in the, in the off season. And I still think, you know, next year, if he could just kind of continues the way he's been going, I think next year he gets drafted in like, what, like 110, 120, maybe kind of like what Tyro Estrada, you know, like um, at worst maybe. Mm -hmm. um, and so he still has solid value. Um, People still need stolen bases, even though there are more of them across the league. I have yet to see kind of like a just an off to the side. I've yet to see really a lot of research on like 
how where the stolen bases have gone because in the offseason people were like oh maybe it's the kind of fast but not super fast guys or like oh it's just the fast guys but it's been like pretty inconsistent i feel like there hasn't been like one group of players i think that's like yeah. really taking advantage the, of the stolen base distribution chart would be right to see right so you know and, and he's he has an eight on pace for he has pace for 20 steals again maybe 25 um and he's also on pace for the most home runs in his career he has six right now he's on pace for like 17 or 18 um, I think last year he had 13, if I if I remember that right. Um, yeah, 13. Um, and so it's like he, he's hitting, you know, some more homers. His like barrel rate is uh, almost exactly the same. Um, other hard hit data, it's all almost exactly the same. So he just kind of like run into a few more. Um, but like, that's the thing is like, he's still Tommy Edmund. We still kind of know who he is. And I don't think a lot of people are like, ready to fully write him off but i am happy to sell him in the dynasty if someone really needs speed um because it's you know he's 28 he doesn't make a lot of hard contact he doesn't take a lot of walks um and those usually like usually as you get older it's like if you have a really good play, play approach and like take a lot of walks and um you know hit the ball hard and like you're more of an on base guy and i think it ages a little bit better you see a lot of these kind of like speed first players that like have decent contact skills just kind of like uh you know it's not as the the longevity isn't always you know there. like we're seeing with trey turner a little bit right now potentially so um so yeah it's a profile that i have no problem selling and trying to find elsewhere and if someone still believes in him or maybe sees the six homers and thinks like oh 2020 maybe this year or next year then i think if you can get anywhere close to like top 150 value i would do it for sure yeah, I think um, I think their strata comp is is an interesting one. I think you're what you're saying about the player profile overall, just kind of how it ages, is important to note. And trying to um, frame that on the trade market, right? Of like, hey, you know, I'm I'm willing to move this guy. He still has some juice there. I do understand that the, the you know it's declining, or, or potentially declining. We'll say. But right. still, you're not going to get full like right. peak value out of it. But still being able to frame of like, but there's still something like I'm not just giving this guy away for peanuts. Like there's yeah. there's something. He's an everyday player. Yeah. yeah. Um, eligibility. Does he still? Is he losing so depends, eligibility? Depends on the requirements of the league. But I know the one league that I have him in, he just regained outfield eligibility again because he's been playing in the corner outfield for the Cardinals a bunch. And I off the top of my head, I don't know what the actual number is. Um. But it's possible that by the end of the season, he'll have second, short, and outfield. Um, so, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case across the board, regardless of eligibility requirements. Yeah, so I mean, for for somebody like me, I've talked about this before, I always value the the multi-position um, player uh, just because it allows me the flexibility that I like to have, um, lets me carry, you know, that many less bench, bench bats uh, so I can focus on trying to uh, bolster pitching instead. Uh, because now I have, you know, guys I can mix and match, especially if you're talking about like infield and outfield um, mix and matching. So uh, Edmund, I, I actually, I, I like that to, to lead us off here. Uh, moving on, uh, one of the big free agent uh, or, or offseason moves, I should say, is uh, Dalton Varsho, obviously um, uh, leaving out of the Arizona Diamondbacks club and his year so far, not exactly what, we expected, I guess. Um, but you have a note here that says like 
he's been kind of exactly as good as he was last year. Uh, just to give the line, 214 average, 27 runs scored, nine home runs, 24 RBI, six stolen bases. So walk us through. I know this wasn't your tweet, but um, walk us through how that how that works. Because uh, yeah. I feel like he's been as good as he was last year. but Right. It feels like it's kind of been a letdown. Right. Like, ah, oh, where'd Varsho go, you know? Um, but it's, so I, I saw this tweet, uh, from Rob Silver, uh, at Rob Silver on Twitter. Um, and he said last year when Valton Varsha was really good, he put up a 79, 27, 74, 16, 235 line. He was tremendous this year when Dalton Varsha has been bad, his year to date stats plus his rest of season bat projections comes to a 78, 26, 72, 18, 233 line, but he's been horrible. That's that's almost the exact same production. Um, and it's not that like the bat is reaching like it's it's really if you just like essentially multiply by three, uh, you know, um, and I think it's like that the batting average has been a sink. But like, I think that you kind of had to expect that because like he hasn't really shown us much better than that. Um, but if you're talking about a, a catcher who will accumulate 70, so 140, 150 runs plus RBI, uh, 25 homers, 15, 18 steals like. I don't care what the batting average is, especially as a catcher. That's solid. That's fantastic, especially in roto scoring. Um, the thing with Varsho is that he's not going to have catcher eligibility next year. And so he'll lose a bit of value just because like the other outfielders are much better than the other catchers. And so he'll kind of drop a little bit, but I think he'll still be a top 125, 130 is an ADP for redraft next year. Like he'll still have solid value even as an outfielder, especially since his outfield defense is so elite. Mm it's fantastic he's going to play every single day until that falls off or until his hitting skills really fall off a cliff and so um if there's you know a contender in your league that needs a catcher maybe they had some injuries if someone wants that catcher eligibility for the rest of the season you can kind of that value doesn't take as much of a hit but even if you're selling him with the expectation for the other team that he's going to be an outfielder for them going forward i think you could still get solid value and he's someone that like the you know the ceiling isn't super high but you know he's going to play every day. You know what he brings. He's very predictable. And I think that that kind of player is a good one to sell if you're not trying to compete this year because like that value is very much for right now. Mm. It's not exactly like, oh, what could he What could he be? Right. Because we really know what he is, right. you know? Um, and so I have no problem selling him, uh, especially if you have, you know, catcher covered for now and for the future. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that Varsho is, is solid and... Um, He's, I think you can get solid value back from him. You know, it, it's a, he's an everyday player and you know, the power and speed he plays in a good lineup that I think is only going to get better. I don't think the blue Jays have been quite as good as kind of we're used to. Vlad hasn't really gotten going. And, um, but we've seen that like that lineup can get hot pretty quickly. So, um, I think it'll look a lot better going forward and we'll start to see more about him. And I think that it's a, it's definitely a good time to sell, even if he has the value, his perceived value isn't like super, super high. And, and on that note, let me ask kind of a, a potentially unanswerable question, which is, so why, why do we feel like he's been such an underperformer if the numbers say he's pretty much right in line to finish where he, he was last year? And we raved about how, how good he was, how great of a pickup that was for the Blue Jays, you know, all this sort of stuff. So what, yeah. you know, what are you? what's that differentiator and then i guess my other unanswerable question that i'm going to throw your way is what can you do if you have varsho and you're looking to move him how can you frame that trade so that you can kind of optimize that return instead of somebody just being like oh varsho has been trash why would i give up anything good 
to, to get him and, and knowing that he's losing catcher uh, eligibility. Right. So I think as far as this kind of like perceived value, why we don't think he's been great. He doesn't have a lot of like viral skills. You know, he's not exactly someone that you're going to see a bunch of Twitter videos on because like his he's not super fast, even though he's a he's a good he's like a good base dealer in that he picks his spots and he's just like he's successful, uh, but he's not super fast. He has power, but it's not like light tower power uh his and it's a poor batting average everyone like as much as we talk about the, the the advanced stats and hitting the ball hard and everything like that batting average is still huge for baseball um he's hitting 214 you know like that's still bad um i think it'll be better going forward like you know i think we said he's projected for like a 230 uh 240 um and i, I definitely see that but like i like what part of his kind of his game or whatever are you going to post on you know on twitter where we kind of get a lot of our, our information from if you don't have varsho it's going to be really hard to like just be aware of him because he's not someone that's like talked about a lot on podcasts yeah. or, or tweeted about you know and so i think that's a big part of it is that he's just he's oatmeal uh he was huge because he i think in the, in the with the diamondbacks last year and even in the offseason it's like oh this is a catcher that plays every day because he's in the outfield and uh, it's it was kind of like a part of this new catcher group and i think in general last year was so exciting for catchers because we had all these guys coming in and this year has been like yeah like there it's not nearly as exciting of a position because a lot of guys haven't really performed that well there there aren't a ton of new guys coming in Mm -hmm. um rushman is always the exception but like there isn't as much a hype about the catcher position in general um and so i think it's just kind of like yeah we know who he is like then this and he didn't take a step forward either you know he's doing the same thing people don't really like the same thing mm. um it's like oh is he better is he worse and but if he's doing the same thing it's like yeah okay like i'm not gonna say anything about that you know because it's, it's what we expect so um so yeah but at the same time i think i'm i'm framing it as um the fact that he's dependable and as far as like what i'd be looking to kind of get back and, and frame like how to frame the trade in that sense um, I think I'd be happy with, oh man, like, like I'm looking at the guys, not to, not to spoil the end of the podcast, but if you can get back someone like who's maybe in AAA, that's like been solid, like maybe Ronnie Mauricio, um, and maybe Ronnie Mauricio and like a, even a more of a fringe prospect. I think that that like probably gets a deal done for Varsho. And I think I'd be fine with that on both sides. Um, I don't think that you could ask for like the value of him being a top three catcher with, you know, that's going in like the, in redrafts and like top uh, like 50, 60 ADP. Mm-hmm. I think if you frame it more as like, this is a outfielder with great defense who plays every day and accumulates stats in a good lineup. I think you're looking at like a, like a top 50 or 60 prospect and like maybe a depth piece. Or if you want to go major league, it's kind of like maybe someone who hasn't panned out like great so far, but you still kind of believe in or, um, maybe like JP Sears mm-hmm. on like the pitching side, JP Sears for Dalton Varsho. Um, I think I'd be all right with that because you know, Sears has looked good. Um, so like something like that, maybe Sears plus a piece, you know? So, um, so yeah, I think that you, you don't shoot for the stars with him, but like, know that like you're giving up, <clears throat> you're giving up someone with not a huge ceiling. You kind of know what you're losing, but you're kind of get back something that's like, okay, maybe this could like you're getting some ceiling back. Like maybe Mauricio takes off. Um, so I think that's kind of where I'm going for. I'm not going to ask for like a top 10, top 15 prospect, but like someone in kind of that mid top 100s that has that I think has upside. Um, so yeah, I think that's kind of where I'm at. If, 
if that that checks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so moving on, uh, we have a couple of pictures, and we're gonna start uh with a starting picture that seemed like uh you haven't noted here. It seemed like he the the breakout that we had been waiting for for what three years finally right. happened. Uh, but then kind of along with his team, there was some uh negative regression that was happening. So this is Mitch Keller. And Mitch Keller on the year, 74 and two-thirds innings pitched, 3.25 ERA, 1.08 whip, uh, has logged seven wins. He's got 93 strikeouts. So, again, breakout seemed like it was happening right along with the Pirates, like, taking over the NL Central. Obviously, Pirates started losing some more games, start running to some injuries. Keller, also his performance has started to back up. You note here that the ERA estimators are good, but he hasn't been um, super lucky. Uh, CSW has looked good, but we see some regression when it comes to swinging strike and his chase. Um, so, yeah, talk us through what that regression is and then what your sort of recommendations are for, for dealing with Mitch Keller. Yeah, definitely. So right now, I think the biggest thing I'm looking at is that strikeout rate because uh, where's the... Da, 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 da. He has a 30.4% strikeout rate right now, which is the 94th percentile of, of qualified pitchers. Um, and so, that, I mean, that's fantastic, but he's never had higher than uh, like a 20%. He had a, it looked like it's in his, in his rookie year in 48 innings, he had a 28.6. And, um, you know, that was great. And then he just took like a huge step back and he's been hovering between 18 and 20 for the last three seasons. Um, and now he's back at 30.4. And so... Um, I don't think that will continue. I think he'll kind of settle in maybe just above 9K per nine, maybe at like 24, 25% strikeout rate. Um, and that's kind of just judging by the, um, you know, the approach of the the hitters. Uh, you know, and when you look at the swinging strike rate, um, it's not it's not great. It's about 11, uh, where is it here? 11.5%, uh, which is like really right in the middle of the pack as far as starting pitcher goes. Um, he did increase it a lot from last year. It was 9.8 last year. So it's, you know, it's better, but it still doesn't really point to like a huge, like a, you know, to a 30% strikeout rate really. Um, and like chase rate is 30.8%, which is again, right in the middle of the pack. And, you know, so he's seeing fantastic strikeout results, but like the actual kind of like swinging miss, um, isn't quite as good. I think what he makes up for, I think how he's kind of getting away with it is that he's just pounding the zone, his 98th percentile zone percentage Mm. um and so it's like that that's great um not exactly what i want to rely on because like if the stuff kind of starts to flatten out a little bit or if you just have like an off day you're gonna get pummeled right um and so and i don't think he has that kind of like elite level stuff yet i think a lot of it looks very similar to what it did last year he did kind of add a cutter that's kind of the biggest change that we've seen to his actual repertoire um but the good thing about him is when you're selling him, I think you could genuinely get sell high value uh, because he still looked like a lot of like this stuff that people look at. It's not that everything points to regression. Right. You the know, super, like the superficial uh, stuff on on top looks like he's still performing how he was in April. Yeah, yeah, because like his his ERA estimators all look great. His you know expected ERA or his xFIP FIP that's all r- actually lower than his current ERA. Um, it's all in like the low threes. Um, you know, CSW looks good and he hasn't been lucky. You know, he, his BABIP is right around, um, league norm, home run five ball ratio, left on base percentage. It's all like standard and stabilized, you know? And so it's, you're, you're not really looking at the profile and going like, oh my God, he's due to get 
hammered. Like his ratios are going to blow up. I don't think that's going to, I don't think that's going to be the case. I think his ratios are still going to be solid. Um, but when you're selling him in dynasty, I think you have to ask like, it's, do you believe in Mitch Keller to continue doing this for one, two more seasons after this? Uh, if you don't absolutely sell him. If you think that like, if you want to ride the lightning in the bottle and, you know, sell him high, I don't know how much higher he's going to get. He could be solid for a few more years. And I don't think I'd be super upset with missing him because there are so many more upside young pitchers. Like, and like we've seen this year, there's been an insane crop of guys that were on waiver wires in almost all dynasty leagues mm-hmm. that have come up and have been fantastic. Mm-hmm. And um, I think you could, if you're someone who rostered Mitch Keller and, and currently roster him, I think you're someone that could find the next Mitch Keller mm-hmm. because like people were done with Mitch Keller. Yeah. And so whatever you saw, look for that in the next guy and, and move on. Just do, you know, like, just do the same thing. Yeah, I mean, just do it again. You know, I mean, and, and that's not always going to work right. And that's probably not what you should do all the time. But I, I think for, for me personally, answering that question is I don't believe Mitch Keller is going to be this good or better for years to come. I think that this might be the the peak. Um, and the like the strikeouts, like I don't think he's ever going to have this high of a strikeout rate for to be able to sustain that even if the ratios are solid and we have and this is the year of the blow up where people are coveting ratios i think you can get someone who is like really just dying for pitching help at, towards the top of the standings and you can get really good value out of them hmm. interesting interesting stuff uh the other picture that we have on here uh is in the bullpen this is uh, emmanuel class a for the cleveland guardians uh and and your note here I mean, you guys should know this already. If maybe if you're new to Dynasty, you're not as aware. But always be selling. Always be ready to move relievers. Um, if you're in a save and hold league, especially if you don't have a, a particular need for them, I would say when it comes to fantasy baseball, a lot of things are not one to one parallel with real life baseball. This is probably the one thing that is one to one like parallel to real life baseball. If you're a bad real life baseball team and you have a really good closer or really good high leverage arm, that should be the first Mm -hmm. person that you get rid of because you have no value. There's no extra value coming to you for a guy that is that good. When you're a terrible team, there are no saves to be had. There are not many leads for him to hold, get rid of them, right? Give them to a team that actually can use them so you can get value back in fantasy. It's the exact same thing. If you are rebuilding or even retooling, if that's what you want to call it, and you have a high leverage guy, you have a closer, there's no immediate need there. Be ready to sell. Don't be coveting. Don't covet class A. (laughs) Take that with you. So, yeah, talk us through the rest of this, Jake. Yeah, with him specifically, why I'm okay with with selling him is that um, so he's still young. He's I think he's 25. Uh, Let me fact check that real quick. Yes, he's, he's still 25. And so someone could look at him and be like, oh, he still has some room to grow, you know? Um, and I think with re- relievers, it's like, oh, a lot of the guys kind of pop up around 28, 29. Ryan Helsley last year, uh, I think he was 27 last year, 28 this year. Yeah, Bautista, um, I think. Uh, Bautista Diaz, uh, Alexis yeah. Diaz, um, that is, I think both. Uh, Diaz may be in 26, maybe. And Bautista was definitely yeah, like 27. Bautista was like 28, yeah. I think. Yeah. And so a lot of guys kind of pop up usually a little later. Class A was much earlier. And so it's like, oh, maybe we still have like three more years out of him. But what's kind of been concerning is that his skills have plummeted this year. He's still he so he leads the league in saves, which is great. And that has a ton of value for for anyone who needs relievers. Um, But his, you know, his swing and miss stuff has disappeared. It already wasn't great. Um, Like last year, 
uh, trying to pull up the, da, 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 I just had it. Uh, yeah, so you had a 28.4% strikeout rate last year, and this year it's at 17.7%. Mm. Um, and that's, holy cow, that's like a huge drop off. Um, trying to see if he, he lost about a mile per hour of velocity on his cutter, but it's still fantastic. Like it doesn't really affect a whole lot of like the pitch's effectiveness, you know, his slider is still in the 99th percentile of a velocity, but he did lose a bit from last year. Um, but the kind of biggest thing that I'm looking at is the swinging strike rate coincides with the loss of, um, well, the loss of strikeout rate, which is concerning. Um, the swinging strike rate last year was at 18.5%, right where you want to see it for elite closer. And this year it's at 12.9, which is really bad for an elite closer. Um, and, so it's like, oh, like that coincides, you know, that makes sense. That like backs it up, the loss in, in strikeouts overall. Um, his CSW has also dropped by four percentage points from 32.2 to 28.2. That's bad. When, when your numbers as a reliever are worse than the average starter, um, that's not good. Not good at all when you're looking at like the CSW swing strike rate, the approach, play discipline. Now, metrics. Let me stop you for a second, Jake, because yeah. the case that you're making though, Right. If if I if you and I are in a league and you have class A and I don't right. and I need saves and holds. The case that you're making though is I should not, as the buyer, I should not be taking on class A. So I'm I'm gonna change tax a little bit and just ask you, so if you're trying to unload class A given everything that you just said, the, the everything is going down, right? The only thing that is kind of staying in, in a valuable spot is his age. And the actual counting stats of save, saves and holes, right? What again are you framing? How are you pursuing a trade for you to get any sort of decent value? At, well, let me actually start there. What would you say is decent value for Class A? What is the type of player ranking? However you want to maneuver that, I'll leave it up to you. But like, what is the type of value that you say is a good one for Class A? And then how would you go about actually trying to get that? Yeah, so I think uh, as far as what you want in back, uh, an everyday player that's not a superstar. Like you're not going to be able to, you know, like I would say like, it's going to be hard to get a pitcher back because like pitching just looking at like reliever, stats for yeah. stats, like pitching for pitching, yeah. quantity versus quality or whatever, reliever, like it's going to be tough. But I think like an everyday uh, hitter that isn't like, doesn't have like this insane like upside or dynasty value, but just has like... um even so if you're if you're selling and you're um if you're a seller and you're selling class a and you're getting someone back right you don't necessarily want a, like a role player but um if you can get a prospect that's like um a prospect that isn't super hyped right now you know like it's someone who is like um top 40 top 50 but doesn't have like or maybe someone who's taking a step back like curtis mead i think i would take curtis mead for emmanuel class a as kind of a, the headliner there um, I think that he's something like he's been injured. He's kind of been like off and on this year. I still think he's a really great hitter, um, but he's not like a top 10 prospect, top 20 prospect. And someone might be like, if, if you need saves. And I think with, with, you know, as far as class A's value goes, he is the closer for Cleveland. They're going to stick with him. And that was my, like that de facto. That was like, my other question is, is there any, because of his age and because of his early success, is there anybody that could supplant him? Because typically, that's the reason that we talk about being so ready to get rid of relievers is it's such a volatile position. Just like we talked about, you know, a Yenier Cano can pop up out of nowhere. Felix Batista can pop up out of nowhere. 
every year is going to be one or two guys that's just like, this guy was terrible. This guy was playing in the Mexican league. This guy was playing overseas. And now all of a sudden he's got this one pitch that nobody can hit. And here he is. Um, But when you have somebody that is sort of stable in their position uh, as, as the backing guy, closer, higher leverage guy, whatever it is, um, does that give, I mean, does that give another sort of boost to um, being able to get rid of them and get that value back is you can kind of say, Hey, I know some of the numbers are bad, but he's got a chance to turn this around because who else is Cleveland going to turn to? Right. Karen check. Like yeah. who else? you know, Trevor, uh, Steven, like who else are they going to turn to consistently to get saves? Other right. than class a? Yeah. Cause like Karen check is wild. Like you can't rely on him to be consistent. Um, Trevor Stephan and Eli Morgan, they don't really like, flip the the switch or like turn the needle or whatever you know too much mm -hmm. um they don't really have someone coming up that's going to be like a big fireball or or anything like that um and they just had so class a pitched two days in a row in the middle of last week and then um the group of eli morgan trevor stefan and, and james karinchak was tasked with holding a lead and morgan got the loss stefan got a blown save uh karinchak got a hold but like they blew it you know they blew um, it. It's not looking yeah, it's not looking great. And so I don't think you're like I think at this point, like Class A is still getting the saves. Um, you know, even if his ERA or strikeout numbers aren't as great as we've seen, he's still getting the saves. He leads the league in saves and his job is extremely secure. And he's 25. And so even if you are looking at those kind of like lowered, you know, strikeout rates and higher ERA or whatever, you could say, I think someone who might be wanting to buy him um could say like okay like i see how that would get better because he just has more time to work on it right. maybe this is just a a blip or something and and i think when you're like like looking um i wanted to pull up real quick um so the nfbc um is doing second chance leagues and it's redraft um yeah redraft second has chance leagues just for the rest of this season and so um there's been seven drafts so far and these drafts are I said they're drafting like the contenders in your league are thinking about trades, right? It's like, who's going to help me for the rest of this mm -hmm. season. And class A's ADP is 37.71, which is right in line with where he was preseason. Mm -hmm. um, maybe he dropped by a half a round, you know, like eight picks or so. Um, but his value hasn't really changed, even though his numbers are, aren't looking like we're kind of used to. So people are still willing to pay in these high stakes leagues. People are still willing to pay up for class A because he gets saves. And, you know, NFBC is saves leagues. They don't encounter holds. And if you're in a saves league, he holds much more value. Um, but like I, I so I think that that's one thing is like people still look at him as at one of the elite closers um, looking. I think Josh Hader is the only one yeah josh Hader is the only one being drafted ahead of him right now in those second chance leagues so um i think people still value him even with the kind of like uh dip in in skills if you will uh he and he still throws 100 miles an hour that's it. like when you watch him he's throwing a 100 mile an hour cutter and a 91 mile per hour slider um that's still that's, like, that's nice to have in the back that. pocket right right so it's like you could be like oh yeah no like i can see why he's gonna miss more bats right. like he throws 100 come on right. you know so, yeah. So that's kind of the, the top names. Of course, we'll have them in the show notes. You had a, a kind of um, a honorable mention list, so to speak, of some other major league players that you have highlighted that would be worth uh, exploring uh, trading out to get some prospect value or some younger value coming back in. Uh, we have Luis Arez, uh, Lotus Goriel, 
Austin Hayes, Edward Cabrera, who's the youngest out of this group. Um, we don't have to go, you know, super deep into each one. I do think the Cabrera and the Hayes ones, because of their age, um, are the most interesting to me. Cabrera, I, I, if I can just speak a minute on him, I talk, uh, and I may have mentioned this on, on a previous podcast, but I talk about like there are certain players that are headache guys that I just I I can't, and I definitely can't have like a bunch of headache guys on my team. I might be able to stomach having one. And headache guys, just so you know, is just they're guys that they give me a headache because I'm always trying to figure out: do I start them? Do I not? Is this going to be a good version? Or is this going to be bad? Is this a matchup that we're so it's it, and it's beyond just matchup hunting because okay, you have guys that we know they don't hit lefties well if they're a hitter or um, you know certain ballparks or if they're a pitcher. You know, do I really want them to go against top offenses if they're not a you know top flight pitcher? I'm not talking about those guys. I'm talking about guys where literally from start to start, from game to game, you have no idea who you're going to get. They could go over four. They could go four, four, two home runs. Edward Cabrera is like should be the face of that type of uh, player, right? It's like you could get four innings, five walks, six strikeouts, three hits. Like you could get, he could fill up the entire stat line, or you could get six innings, nine strikeouts, one walk, and like quality start, and it's just he everything is just locked into place. It, I couldn't tell you. There's no rhyme or reason to him, and I just with players like that and especially for pitchers because the number of games obviously are smaller and the impact is therefore greater. I can't, I moved Cabrera last year. So I'm glad to see that he's on this list. Cause absolutely. Yep. Um, that's my spiel about Cabrera. I don't know if you have anything to add, but like, yeah. I just, I can't. Yeah. With Edward Cabrera. <laughs> yeah. He's someone who he would make an elite reliever. Mm. And I think that's where he's headed. Mm. Like, I don't think like his, he's a 14% walk rate and that's not out of the norm for him. This is like in line with career norms. Um, he has to make a huge change in his command. Otherwise he's just, he's going to the bullpen. Uh, and this, this list of these four guys is more or less like get rid of them while you can, because they're doing something good right now. Um, and I'm not counting on them long-term at all. Lourdes Groyel, you talked about him on, on, on a podcast episode recently, and he then said, ha screw you, Lamar, yeah. and went out and hit like six homers. Um, and so now if you want to capitalize on this recent power run for him, he's like 32, 30, um, or maybe not. He's actually, he's younger. He's younger because this was this was one of the qualifiers I was looking at. So I think he's like 28, 29. Um, but like I, like he doesn't offer any speed, doesn't offer a ton of power, raw power. Like the EVs don't really back up what he's been doing. And um, he's, he's just batting average, and it depends on the lineup, how good he is. He's going to accumulate the other stats. Uh, Luis Arias, he's been playing every day, but he still has – he's playing in uh, Marlins ballpark. So he has one homer, one steal, 20 runs and 20 RBI. That's bad, even if he hits 350. Um, so sell the 350, and because he's not always going to hit 350, you need him to hit 350 if he, you know, imagine, is going to have value. Imagine Tony Gwynn if he did nothing else but just hit something. Yeah. Like, imagine Tony Gwynn just hit so if, yeah. <laughs> if anyone wants him, get rid of him. That's it. That, you know, like, if not, hold him as a bench bat and use him when you need him. But uh, Austin Hayes has been one of the Orioles' best hitters this year. Um, we know that it sucks being a right-handed hitter in that ballpark. He's not doing a lot to, like, mount that wall you know and a lot of his home runs have been to to center field and um and he's someone who like last year he looked pretty good at the beginning and then he just fell off everything fell off over the course of the season and this year it's i think it's going to be pretty similar um like he doesn't have um 
really great like batted ball data to kind of back this up what he's been doing he's playing in a much improved lineup and you know the Orioles don't have a ton of outfield prospects but like Kowser is coming um and you know there will be others and the t- as the team gets better I mean they got um, they I, I'll, I'll I'll disagree with you they got a good handful I mean Kowser Kerstad are the top two yeah, Kerstad, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean Beavers and and Fabian like they're a few years away but like Kerstad and, and Kowser definitely are like one two right there and the other thing that I was actually thinking about with Hayes to to, to continue on is uh, with that fall off, how much it, could that be um, accelerated possibly with him essentially going to have to take over for Mullins with Mullins being down for injury? That's more playing time because they got to put him in center field because they can't put Santander there. Um, so, and they're probably not going to put Adam Frazier in center if at all, definitely not often. So that's more playing times. That's less off days that Hayes would get where normally because he plays the corner, he might get the H days or just sit him completely because they have some other corner guys that can put in. Now he's got to play center field until Mullins gets healthy or until they feel comfortable promoting a guy. That's, that's just more legs. That's, that's more, uh, you know, ground that he has to cover more defensive, um, uh, energy that he has to give that he may not have for good at bats. So that's something else to just kind of keep a general eye on, in my opinion. Yeah. And if someone looks at a stack at stack cast page, if you, you know, send him in an offer or something, they're going to be like, Oh, Oh, Oh my God. Yeah. Great. Cause he has like a career high barrel rate and like he's hitting the crap out of the ball. And it's like, Oh, that's great. But he was doing that also at the beginning of last year. And it looks like that never happened now. Um, and he's just not someone who I think is a long-term like option for them. And he's just going to kind of mellow out and be meh. Um, so if you can get a solid young piece for him, I absolutely would. Um, you know, because it's like, ah, seen it before. hasn't really worked out. He's really hot right now. Take advantage of that. Um, and, and yeah, I think that kind of, that covers it. So on that note, we're going to take another quick break. We're going to come back and we're going to run through both the, um, some major league players that you could potentially add some focus, some future value and along with some prospect names as well. So that would be right after this break. All right. And we're back. So we have a kind of a two pronged attack to help you with your, your rebuilding. Um, One is going to be, uh, one look is looking at current major league players, but on the younger side, that can give you some future value. So beyond just this season um, to go after. So one name that we have on here is Riley green and definitely before the injury, um, he was bringing some of that potential future value. Uh, Talk us through what green was showing before the injury. And then uh, it looks like you have a note here about how we should be thinking about that injury as well. Some, maybe some caution around being too uh, out on Riley green. Yeah, so um, it was reported recently that it's a stress reaction and not a stress fracture of the leg, which is great. Um, and so that's, you know, not as bad of a timeline. And so if you're, you know, someone who's valuing, uh, you know, a, a contending team is valuing, um, you know, playing time right now, like you'll get it, you, know, you should get him. And he's also going to play sooner than we originally expected. Um, but he was in the middle of a breakout and he was looking fantastic. He improved on everything and we haven't quite seen the results reflect that yet, which is, I think right now might be the last time to buy him. Um, I think that by the end of the season, I think he's going to be a top 50 dynasty asset overall. Um, and so I think if, if you're still into him, if you want to 
look at buying him. I think like now is the time to do it while he's kind of on that, while he's on the injured list, he's not really, he doesn't have the chance to perform. And what we saw before he went to the injured list was fantastic. Um, he improved every aspect of his batted ball profile. Um, at the beginning of the season, he, um, hit the ball a lot harder while not sacrificing his approach. Uh, his strikeout rate is almost exactly the same. Um, it's still not great. It's 28.6%. Um, but you could like, that's not a disqualifier in, in my opinion. I think especially if you're as young as he is and as exciting of, of like just bad ball quality too. And plus he walks 9.4% of the time. So it's above average solid as well. Um, but he improved his hard hit rate, his expected Woba on contact by a ton. Uh, his expected Woba, his expected slugging, his you know batting average, expected batting average, max exit velocity, exit velocity, barrel rate, like it's all pointing up. Um, and he's only 22 years old. This is the age 22 season. And um, it was pretty, it was just so bad last year and the park doesn't help anything that I think a lot of people are like, eh, you know, like, I will see how it goes. And um, I am in trying to get him anywhere I can. Um, like I'm shopping in one of my leagues, I'm shopping Aaron Nola and he's someone I would take as a headliner in an Aaron Nola deal. Like that's, I mean, my team has a ton of pitching, you know, and that's why I'm comfortable giving up Nola, but I think that he could be a centerpiece to a a blockbuster deal. Um, because I mean, looking at it, he is, um, is, he's a one fourteen. it's a massive exit velocity of one fourteen. average exit velocity, 92 barrel rate above 10% now. Um, and so like he's starting to slug and, you know, he does have a huge BABIP, which is kind of like leading to the, the, the batting average at 296. Um, but I think that he still can be like a 270 hitter. Um, he only hit five homers, which I expect to go up a little bit. You know, he, again, he does play in a bad ballpark in a bad lineup. And so it's like, his kind of stats aren't great. The, the homers haven't quite been there, but I think that, um, he will, I mean, he will just get, but the team will get better around him and his, you know, homers will start like clearing the fence as he especially gets older and just adds more power. I think you could assume that that's going to be the case, um, you know, because we've already seen it. We've seen a huge improvement from age 21 to 22, um, you know, not saying that he's going to just like double that each year going forward, but like he, he still has a lot of room to grow, uh, but he's doing this as a 22 year old in, in Major League Baseball. So, um, so yeah, and then, you know, the park limits him a little bit, but they've moved in the fences a little bit. I wouldn't be surprised if they did it again. Uh, the team's going to get better. And um, he's also stealing more bases. He's six for six. Uh, he didn't do that at all last year. He had one stolen base. I think he got caught like four times. Um, and so he's fast. His sprint speed is in the 88th percentile. Um, and he's stealing more bases, more successful at it, hitting the ball harder across the board. Uh, he's also hitting a ton more line drives went from 22% to 28%. And he dropped his ground ball percentage kind of in co- to coincide with that too. So um, I, the arrow is firmly up for him, for me. And I think he's going to be a coveted dynasty asset as soon as this, like this season later on. Hmm. Very interesting. Um, I was interested in green before, but now I'm, I'm kind of even more interested. I might, might look at making some offers. Before this episode, yeah, like I'm actively trying to get him. Yeah, I might, I might be making some offers before this uh, episode. There's a lot of guys on this list where I'm like, oh, I could see why someone would like him. Riley Green, I am actually act- actively trying to get in every one of my dynasty leagues uh, right now. <laughs> uh, the next guy we have up is Ezekiel Duran, another guy that is currently on uh, the IL, but beforehand um, was showing us a lot of good things in a lot of different ways. 
Um, so talk us through about uh, buying, uh, potentially buying Ezekiel Duran. Yeah, as he's another one who has improved in every asset of his bad to ball profile. His stack cast numbers are off the dang charts. Um, really, honestly, similar profile to, to Riley Green. And, um, you know, he got his big opportunity when Corey Seager went down with an injury in like mid-April. And he was the everyday shortstop for them. He kind of had a couple games in the beginning and they were like, oh, let's run with this. And then he, he ran with it. And he, um, you know, even after, so Corey Seager came back from the injury on May, I think, 17th. Um, and a few games after that, Duran played primarily DH and he did play a game at shortstop. And then he was injured like five games later. Um, so it's not like we have a huge sample of them both on the same team after the, the little breakout that we saw. Um, but it did look like that they were giving him the DH spots. And there's really no one else on the roster that's going to challenge him for that DH spot. Um, like right now, when, when he's as he's out with the injury, the um, Rob, Robbie Grossman has been the primary one to take that spot. And I don't think there's any way Robbie Grossman is going to keep Ezekiel Duran from playing. I think it'll be Grossman and Jankowski sharing the the spot in left field. Um, and then Duran should be everyday DH and then kind of like swapping in with Young or Seager as if, you know, if they need some rest. Um, but yeah, like he, he had the opportunity. He made the most of it. He's like, I mean, his, his bad bug, like go look at his savant page and not just the sliders even, but down and, um, you know, look at kind of everything else. It's it's all improving. His approach still looks looks good. He's striking out twenty three point six percent of the time. He doesn't walk as much as you know Green, but um, he strikes out less. He strikes out about league average. I would say fortieth percentile. I'm not concerned about that at all, especially if you hit the ball hard. Um, but yeah, his fly ball percentage went up from twelve percent last year to twenty seven percent this year. Ground ball went from fifty to thirty eight this year. Um, and so like the launch angle is way more optimal, way, way more, more optimal. He's also dating 30% line drives. That's, I mean, that's perfect. That what I just said right there, that is for, as far as launch angle goes. Um, and he hits the ball hard and he's fast. 91st percentile sprint speed. He just, the only thing that I can see is that he doesn't walk a lot, which I don't like if you're in an OBP league, it, it affects, um, you know, maybe his OBP sits around like 320, and that's like, meh. But in a batting average league, he'll be solid. Um, probably not 301 like he's at right now, but like 270, you know, like I think it looks good. Yeah, and then in, in that lineup, I mean, the Rangers are just thumping. Uh, oh, my God, yeah. And, and so run run the run creation environment that he's going to be in, both to get um, to score runs as well as RBI chances, it, it's all lining up. So just hoping that uh, right. he gets healthy and comes back um, sooner than later. Yeah. Uh, and then moving on, we got we got a picture here. This is a uh, Reed Detmers, and uh, I was talking to the reason the reason why I uh, am responding this way is um, I on Detmers train. I think I talked about this many episodes ago. Um, I traded Cabrian Hayes for him at the beginning of last season. I want to say felt really good about that. This season uh, has not really gone. The, the next level that I thought he was going to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd still rather have him than Brian Hayes right now, though. That's fair. That's fair. Um, but just I, I was really I had like four sort of core pitchers that I was like, OK, this is what my team is sort of all built around, mm-hmm. which made, you know, I knew that that was a, a, a faulty sort of premise. That was house cards to begin with. But uh, just so that you all know, those four, it was Spencer Strider. OK. Reed Detmer. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a good start. Reed Detmers. Brady Singer. Mm. Yeah. 
Uh, and then who was my sort of? Oh, uh, I traded for Trevor Rogers, and I was like, if I can just oh, get, dear. if I can just oh, get, and and my thought what process was he's probably not twenty twenty one Trevor Trevor Rogers like that's probably not who he really yeah. is. But I was like, there's no way he's as bad as twenty twenty. Should be better. Yeah, but if I can yeah. just get like a middle ground, I should be good. Uh, he's obviously been hurt for the better part of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know we don't need to talk about Singer at all. So Strider's been it, and now we have Reed Detmers. Yep. And as I was talking to Jake off Mike, um, you know, if only Reed Detmers could skip the pitching in the fourth inning. If he could just pitch the first three innings and then like skip the fourth and then come back out and pitch from then on, I think he'd be brilliant. But something about that fourth inning, just my man cannot get out of his own way. Uh, now I know you have one here that he's been incredibly unlucky, um, and that he still does have a, a pretty great uh, K percentage. Talk to me about the the unlucky bits because I haven't seen it being unlucky per se, but I think I know where you're going with this. So take it away. Yeah. I mean, I'm mostly just referring to kind of those, those like quote unquote luck stats that there's three of them. There's the betting average on balls and play the BABIP, the home run to fly ball ratio and the left on base percentage. Those are like of all the stats. Those are usually the three words like these stabilize, like these should be, for the most part around this level for all pitchers, like it's, there aren't really skills associated with inherited runners scoring or even like your own runners scoring. You know, there's um, like some guys are like, Oh, they have the it factor. They buckle down when runners are on base. That's not super real. That's more of like a perceived thing. Um, home run to fly ball ratio. I don't think that like pitchers control, home runs and the fact that if they leave over pitch over the middle of the plate, it's a higher chance of it. But like over the course of a large sample, it's hard to say that any, any pitcher is like better or worse, you know? Um, and it usually stabilizes back towards the mean. Um, and then Babbitt it's that pitcher has almost nothing to do with that at all. It's all like defense positioning. Um, even like, you know, the only case where Babbitt might be a skill is I think I was, you know, you know, Sarah's a lot of people have talked about how like the Dodgers have been one of the best at like just um, allowing low BABIPs. And so, but in general, these three stats aren't like skills based usually. Um, and, and Reed Detmers has a 377 BABIP against um, and his home run fly ball ratio is about, about average. It's a good. Um, and then the left on base is 63.5%, which is in the 19th percentile. Um, and so I think the, the average for that one is usually, I think about 73, 75 and, you know, so it's like there is a bit of caution because like last year, everyone was yelling the whole year. Oh, my God, Alex Cobb. Oh, my God, Kevin Gosman. It's all BABIP. It's all BABIP. And like they got a little better, but it wasn't like they turned into world beaters. And, you know, and now they're doing great this year, both of them. Um, but it's like if you just like look at it, and you're like, but it's the BABIP. But it's the BABIP. It'll probably disappoint yourself because like for some reason or another, like it's it's and it's hard for it to turn around and, and really quickly. But long term. He is still super young. He is 23 years old. And that's like, that's younger. It's way younger than Nick Lodolo. You know, um, I think it's about the same as, as Strider. Um, a lot of guys debut at like 24, 25. Um, he debuted at 21, which is not common at all. And, you know, he's had a lot of time to work through. He's he's already made some pretty huge improvements since his 2021 debut where he just got lit up for five starts towards the end of the year. You know, like he already took a huge step forward next year or last year. And this year, I think it's not nearly as bad as it has been. You know, like if you even look at the his ERA is 5.15, his expected ERA 4.12, XFIP 
4.02. Um, and even if he is, let's say he is that you can't expect him to be that pitcher for the rest of the year. Cause it's not quite how that works. Um, but if he is a four ERA the rest of the year in this run environment, that is valuable. Um, I think I saw a tweet recently that like uh, one of the projection systems, I think it was like the bat or ATC or something had only like 13 pitchers projected for lower than a three ERA the rest of the season. And like, so, you know, I, I think that him being a low four ERA pitcher with a 20, with his 26% strikeout rate is really good. Um, he has a 9.3% walk rate, which isn't great, but it's still like, I think you could still get away with it, especially if you're going to strike out, um, if your strikeout rates in the high twenties and his swing strike rate is two percentage points better than it was last year. He's improved on that a lot. Even his CSW as well. They're both above the 80th percentile, uh, in amongst qualified starters and they both look really good. So I think that like, not only is it unlucky, is he having bad BABIP, but he's missing a lot more bats, um, and his control hasn't been as bad as it looks. You know, that 1.54 whip is like way inflated right now, I think. And he's still 23. Like long term, I'm absolutely trying to buy him. And I don't even, it's going to be tough to buy him. I think even still, even if, you know, the results have been bad, but I think I'm willing to pay for him because he's, he has still like six years of prime pitching left. So I think he'll be, I think he'll be good. Lamar. Sorry. Well, I mean, I hope you're right. <laughs> Don't be sorry. I hope you're right. You know, no, that's right. Yeah. Um, He is on my like, do not ask sort of list for, for, for trading in my league. It's like, don't, don't ask me about him. Um, Cause I'm not trading him. Uh, I will say that was closer to his, um, I'm looking at his game log that that was probably closer to when I made that his um may 6th start against texas he had seven strikeouts and four innings uh follow that up in cleveland with kind of a mess start uh five innings six hits two runs two walks two or three strikeouts then he had his 12 strikeout game against minnesota but also had three walks three earned runs uh on two hits that was five and two-thirds the thing that made me uh i think is like a perfect example very recently is his last start against houston literally watched the start he was cruising the first three innings. Didn't have a lot of uh, strikeouts, but he was just going, getting out against a decent Astros line that hasn't been, I don't think it's been um, as um, great as we kind of maybe anticipated they were going to be, but still, you know, dangerous, and they were in Houston. And then he gets into that that fourth inning, and then it was like, I forget the exact order, but it was some mixture of walk, hit, you know, hit, walk, and I just, I do distinctly remember that, yeah, men on, he gives up hard ground ball to third, and Gio Urshela just can't get his glove down in time to field it. Goes in the left field, run score, and it's just like, and now it's on. Now he gets to face Jordan Alvarez a second time. He had struck him out the first time. I'm like, oh, wow, he struck out Jordan. That's great. Now we get to see him a second time with men on. I think he walks Jordan, and uh, then Cal Tucker comes up, another lefty. He had gotten Cal Tucker out the first time. Not the second time, though. Gives up another base hit. And then it was just like, and it was just on from there. Um, and that's just kind of like repeatedly how these starts have been through the years or, or through the year, I should say. It's just first inning, okay. Second inning, wow, looks really good. Third inning, all right. Works his way through the lineup. It turns over. Now it's trouble. Now everybody's like, we're on to you. And he just hasn't figured out another place to go, another way to mix pitches. It's just kind of what it is, what it is. His defense hasn't really helped him. To your point about, you know, the the, the uh, luck factor and BABIP. And 
Yeah, I mean, he's gone past five innings one time. He he, and that was April against Boston. He went six in the third. Ended up losing the game, ironically, but he went six in the third, six hits, two in runs, one walk, seven strikeouts. That's probably, I mean, that in the Minnesota start are probably his two best starts of the season. And, you know, maybe you could argue the the Kansas City one, but that's seven hits he gave up. I mean, it's just, it, it, it doesn't really balance itself out. If you just look at the game log, it's just like he's out giving up a lot of hits, but not that many walks. And maybe he gets a good handful of strikeouts and limits the earned runs. Or he gives up a lot of earned runs because he's walking a lot because he's not striking out guys. But there's not a lot of hits. But it's it's just, it, again, he's starting to get into that headache zone. I'm telling you, he's starting to get yeah, close yeah. to that headache zone where I'm just, I, I, I don't want to deal with it. But I'm hoping that you're right, Jake. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. That's all I got to say about that. So those, those are the young guys. Uh, let's get into prospects. Um, you, you kind of you spoiled it a little bit, but let's jump back into it. Ronnie Mauricio is kind of headlining prospects by, and so this section is really, you know, prospects that are at some level either they're right on the doorstep like a Mauricio, maybe they're a couple years away, but they are flying up through the rankings, so their value is increasing. What we think they can do is improving, um, and so we're thinking that you can target these folks to get, um some good return on some of the players that you might be trading out. So Ronnie Mauricio, first and foremost, we mentioned him in the win now um, episode that we talked about as someone to, to move out as a prospect. But if you're moving him out, somebody should be taking him on. If you're in a rebuild mode uh, that he's definitely should be a guy uh, you have him here as kind of maybe a possible win-win. Can you break that down? Yeah. So I think for someone who is contending right now, he isn't like, his, you know, his value has increased and he's he's doing a lot better in AAA this year, but he's not going to help you a whole lot this year and potentially not a whole lot last year, depending on how their roster shakes out. They still have a lot of older players kind of clogging up the roster and they have Lindor for the, the future, Beatty at third, and then maybe at second base is where he could find some time if McNeil goes to the outfield or, um, you know, or Escobar is off the roster who plays there sometimes, you know, so it's like... Um, he, he could find a spot next year, but it's not guaranteed. And so I think we're maybe looking at like 2025 when he's like a full-time player, like full potential could be you know, realized and, and whatnot there when he'll be 24 years old, maybe 25. And so I think for as far as like, a you know, if you're trying to rebuild or retool for it, if you're thinking about next year, um, Mauricio is great because it's like he could take that step forward next year. Um but you're not banking on it because you're looking more towards the future. And then someone who is looking for value right now is going to be like, I don't have the time to, to wait for him. I want to win the championship now, you know? Um, and I think they'd be willing to give him up and, and take advantage of the, of kind of the start that he's had so far, you know? So I think it, it definitely could be a win-win if you, if you know, someone gets a, a major league player that will give them at bats this year or innings this year, and you get someone who has more, upside you know more future value but won't be here for a while um i think he's a great player for selling or buying just depending on your situation yeah so um i i think that that proximity piece that you're highlighting is is really kind of the crux of the whole thing right is he's just close enough that you don't have to if you're taking him on right if you're rebuilding and you're saying i want mauricio i'm going after him he's just close enough that you don't have to feel like oh but man, what if this doesn't work out? What if, you know, he still has all these holes in his game? He has to get through all these other levels. 
the way you might feel if you're taking on a high A prospect or even a double A guy where they, you know, they might be a top 100 player, but there's still some room for them to possibly grow or, you know, holes again that they might have in their game. And so you feel maybe like you're going to end up with some buyer's remorse. He's just close enough to kind of eliminate some of that for you because he's right there triple a and he's been doing it you know last year this year etc but to your point for somebody who might be looking to win right now he ain't doing it for my team right um whoever is um you know uh going after the championship they're going to look and say i need to optimize my lineup i need to optimize my roster um i need guys that are contributing and even if you're dealing from your farm, right, a, a more traditional dynasty, so he's on your farm, you can look and say, hey, I can move him, uh, I can move Mauricio, get some max value back for this year, and it opens up a minor league spot for me to maybe go hunt for, you know, a, 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 a dart throw at the low A or high A level, or maybe somebody that I really have had my eye on at the double A level, it opens up that flexibility for me there. So, yeah, Mauricio is kind of like the perfect uh, uh, <laughs> he's kind of like the perfect player because he can be both um, appealing for rebuilders as well as for the win now folks um, so yeah I could I agree with you I could see him being a, a win-win sort of uh, outcome there um, the next player that you have is another infielder uh, Adiel Amador for the Rockies uh, we've talked about Amador in the past kind of mentioned him here and there he's somebody that definitely is interesting to me his contact rate have been really amazing. And I think that there's some latent power that's going to start to build. I don't think it's going to be anything crazy, but I think it will be enough that you won't have to worry about um, him just being a contact only guy. I think uh, he has a skill set, quite honestly, and I hate to kind of make the somewhat lazy comparisons, but I think he has a skill set that overmatches what Tovar was showing us um, for the Rockies last year and, and into this year. So, um, right. Yeah. Uh, Amador, say, you know, go ahead and say your piece on, on that. Yeah, no, I, I love Amador, you know, because if, you know, we're looking at, uh, you know, potential power speed guys, it's usually like, oh, they have horrible play discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, and where, you know, Amador doesn't exactly blow the doors off with power. He does have eight homers this year and 191 plate appearances. Um, so that's a solid 20 homer pace. It is at high A, but he's 20 years old. I think you need to get him before he gets to double A. I think that double A, he's especially if he performs the well there, that's when he really his stock really starts skyrocketing. Um, and so, so yeah, so right now he's eight homers, 11 stolen bases. He walks almost as much as he strikes out. This is the first time that he, um, well, not the first time. So last year he walked more than he struck out by a good margin. And this year it's um, not quite that much, but it's still very, very close. It's what's the BBK 0.9. Um, and so, he has a fantastic approach. He's good speed, steals a bunch of bases and he has some sneaky pop. Like maybe he turns into something like what we saw from Andres Jimenez last year. Um, but like more sustainable. I think Andres Jimenez was more of like a lifted and hope for the best, you know, type of power um, where Amador could have, especially in cores. I mean, it's lazy, but like he'll play in cores. Um, I think there could be a little bit more behind it there. Uh, he's posting a career high ISO right now. It's at 198, which is fantastic. Um, so yeah, I'm and so I just saw this tweet from Thomas Nestico for at TJ Stats. Um, 
that, let's see here, he said earlier this season, he made contact on 50 consecutive in zone swings. That's, that's insane. Didn't miss a single pitch for 50 swings in the zone. Um, and, you know, he has here that, you know, combined the hit tool with his improving power and speed. It's, you know, the piece of going to be flying up prospect lists. And I tend to agree with Thomas. The Amador is going to continue to fly up prospect lists. And I think that it's not going to be long before he's like top 25. Maybe he, you know, if he gets a double A and he's well, and he does well, I think he'll be there by the end of the season. Mm-hmm. And so I think that this is kind of the time to get in on him. Like, even if people know what they have, I think that he'll be a lot easier to get now right. than he will be in the off. Right. Right. And and it's kind of the same, the, the proximity piece that we were just talking about Mauricio in, in my mind, right? You, if you're right. moving him, if you have Amador, you're a contender, somebody comes knocking, hey, I want Amador, you're more willing to say, ah, Rockies hitter, okay, maybe they're turning their philosophy around with promoting some guys. Uh, Doyle uh, has come up. Obviously, Tovar has gotten some time, They and they've, they've let him be, right, even through his struggles. They haven't been moving him up and down and up and down. They, they let him just be on the major league roster. So maybe they're turning things around. But Amador is still at high A. He's still got to prove himself at least at double A, if not one more level. That means, you know, one to two more years at least. Hey, I can punt that. I, I can let that go out the door depending on what I'm getting back for him. And if you're taking Amador on, you know, maybe you're looking a little bit rose-colored glasses, but you're like, oh, well, if he finishes this year at double A and then he gets high to double A next year, I may only have a year and a half before I'm actually seeing him at the major league level. I, that's that's that works for me. That works in my window that I'm creating for my rebuild. So proximity is is a, is a, a big part of this when it comes to prospects that you're taking on for a rebuild because you are going to have your slew of guys that they are a project. They are hey, it's going to be you know three years at least. We know, but yeah, if you can slide in some guys that can shortcut that and move it from two years to a year and a half, you know, two years to maybe it's just one season. Um, that that helps you because that's going to juice up both their value. So if you want to flip them again, as well as your actual rebuild and what your team is going to look like um, and how soon you can get back into or get to contention. So, um, yeah, I, and, you know, like I said, I'm just a fan of Amador. I, I, I would love to see him um, go up the ranks and uh, see him at the major league level. And then our last kind of full name here to break down, because I know we're running long here. We have Colt Keith. Um, Keith is somebody that I, be honest, I did not pay attention to for two years running because I just did not care about the Tigers farm system. And, and I was just like, I, I don't care. Um, outside of like, okay, Torkelson, Green, you know, that's fine. But all these other guys don't care. Again, that's my own, you know, ignorance. And now we have Keith just flying up the radar. I did get a chance to actually see him in person. I went to a game last night. Unfortunately, wasn't able to stay the whole time, so I missed his home run. So the, the best part, I, I wasn't there for it. Um, but, yeah, uh, Colt Keith uh, is, is taking over for the Tigers. I think he might be, if not their number one prospect right now, definitely like their number two. Yeah. Yeah, and I, it's what I just mentioned with um, with Amador, how it's like, oh, if he gets a double A, like it's like, you know, buy it now. Like that that's exactly what we've seen happen with Colt mm-hmm. Keith is that he was in a high A and he was doing really well. And it was like, oh, maybe and now he's in double A doing the same thing. And it's like, OK, yes, we are mm-hmm. in. We are full systems go. And now he's flying up prospect rankings and uh, and all that. So I think that but I'm still willing to pay for him because, um, you know, he's, he's a little bit closer. He's, you know, a power bat, corner bat. Um, but not first base. He's third base eligible, which is good. 
uh, third base is very thin. Um, and he is, I mean, he's better at double A than he was at high A. You know, he had a breakout in high A and he, um, you know, he struggled initially at high A when he was first promoted in 2021. And then in 2022, he was at high A for, um, for the whole time he was healthy and he improved a ton and posted a 150 WRC plus. And then this year he starts the year in double A and he's had a 159 WRC plus. Um, with a 247 ISO, power's good, 10 homers in 207 plate appearances. So, um, I mean, he looks he looks fantastic. So, and I think he's a little closer. It's not out of the realm that he sees sometime in September this year. And I think that he, with how bad the Tigers roster is, he could be a full-time guy next season. Um, it's probably maybe by after a month or two, you know, he kind of gets his legs at the start. But I think he sees some significant time, significant time as soon as, next season and maybe in september a little bit yeah 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 i i think um especially when you look at the fact that the tigers uh they don't have much especially when it comes to third base they they really don't have much going here uh, they they've been running out uh McKinstry, i know he's been playing some third as well as some uh, outfield and he's been having uh kind of a, a latent bit of a breakout season but you know i think the upside of keith definitely trumps whatever McKinstry is going to give you in the long term so it will be interesting. I think this year might be, especially given what the Tigers have shown us with their prospects, might be a little aggressive because they weren't that aggressive with uh, Green or, or with Torkelson. And it's not like they need a bat because they're going to be terrible regardless. So there's no real need to like rush anybody. But definitely coming to, you know, this time next year, could we be talking about Colt Keith having been called up? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I know we. I keep saying this. We ran long. Uh, the last three names that we have, and we're not going to do the full breakdown, but Emmett Sheehan, love that. Cole Young, love that. Carson Wisenhunt, uh, starting to love that. Was not on Wisenhunt uh, early on, but starting to catch up with Wisenhunt. Um, love all yeah. three of these. He's another one, get him before he's promoted. Yeah. He's in high A yep. right now, and he will be promoted to double A in the next yep. month. So get if you want to get him, get him yeah, before he gets I, I would say all three of these guys. Cole Young is at low A right now. Get him before he goes to high A, because uh, I think once he gets to high A, it, it game is over. I don't yeah. even think you have to wait with what he's been doing. And Sheen's thing, same thing. He's part of that Tulsa crew that I was talking about. All those mm-hmm. guys are, are <laughs> that whole that whole lineup is is or that whole rotation, I should say, is full of guys that have uh, major league potential. Um, Sheen might be the best out of all of them. So yeah, now is pretty much the time because the next move for him probably is going to be to the major league levels. Quite honestly, I don't think they're going to waste even putting him in trouble there. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. He has the best strikeout rate in the minor leagues right now. There you go. On that note, we're going to end it there. As always, want to remind listeners that you can find this podcast, all of our Pitcher List pods on the Pitcher List Network podcast page, all available for you to uh, find, listen, and subscribe in the podcast section of Pitcher List. Uh, articles, I think it's pretty much standard protocol. Right now. Standard stuff. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the stash articles from Jake the prospect watch list from myself uh you can find me on twitter at inside fastball capital i capital f and you can find me on twitter at jake mash m-a-i-s-h of course you can follow the pod in of itself at pl on the farm and with all that being said i hope you enjoy the rest of your day